Welcome to Death Readers. I'm Doug. I'm Rob. This is episode 124 of Death Readers, the podcast where Rob and I share our thoughts and notes with each other on the books that we're reading for the first time. If this is your first time listening, we suggest reading Goosebumps, book 13, Piano Lessons Can Be Murder, before listening to this episode. That way you too can follow along. Welcome to a Death Readers one and done. I like that. Um, so... Last episode, we finished up the Dritz-Jordan series up through book six, uh, and we rolled for a horror book, and we got, by uh, by this, a stroke of luck, a, uh, a Goosebumps book, specifically uh, Goosebumps book 13, Piano Lessons Can Be Murder, um, originally published in November 1993. Which means it's 28 years old. And, uh, like, exactly, because we're in November, you know, sure. now. So, yeah, uh, trying to think if there's any more housekeeping to go well, we over. we got edition edition to do. Well, I know, but I'm trying to think if there's anything else. Let's just do the edition edition. What edition do you uh, have, Doug? I have the 2004 reprint edition, which, uh, has a I mean if you if you were a goosebumps kid you'd recognize this is not the original cover because its design is ever so slightly different just on the face okay so like on on this version like the classic goosebumps had this white bar on the line right under the wording okay and then and there was there was a a color difference of the background behind the words goosebumps that oh, was I see different it. from well it, not on this one this one it's the no, same no I know I'm looking at mine oh, okay and and um and and the color is dramatically different from the original co- cover, um but like that the the ooze color at the bottom is would be different than the ooze color behind the R L Stein name okay. and the Goosebumps logo, and the Goosebumps logo should the 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 color on the logo should be the same as the background ooze color on the bottom of the cover. This is all if you're not looking at this, it won't make any sense because I'm just saying a bunch of words, but. Um, it's, it is remarkably different for the 10 year anniversary printings that these were also the graphic images flipped for some reason. Yeah. I was wondering if you were going to notice that. I I don't know exactly why, but it definitely is. And my, mine is the, so mine's the reprint edition. I got mine in the, uh, in a box set of some kind. I think it's the haunted school box set is what it's called mm-hmm. with came with a bunch of reprints that I think are basically, ran- I, I know they're not random, but they seem random. Um, and my, this printing is the, since we learned how to do this last time, it's it eighth. If it's, if the last number is eight, I believe so. Then it's the eighth printing of that edition of this edition. Yeah. Yeah, so that's the edition I have. What edition do you have, Rob? Well, I have Goosebumps, 13, R.L. Stein, and Undead Skin, Volume 1.5. Because I went online and I downloaded a PDF of this because I'm not paying for it. Oh my god! <laughs> of all the horrifying things I expected to hear when doing a horror book podcast, I did not expect to hear about crime (laughs) (laughs) um i guess that makes me the goosebump you're the you're you know what you might be you might be the podcast's bad boy (gasps) 
I mean, that How would does actually, that make that you would feel? Make sense. Yeah. Explains my leather jacket, my pompadour. Pack of cigarettes yeah. rolled up in my t-shirt. Oh, that's you. Yep. Oh, man. How many switchblades do you have? <laughs> like four switchblades. One for each how pocket. Many, how many switchblade combs do you have? <laughs> it's another four. It's another four. So you have eight. It's, it's, it's a gamble. It's a gamble you every have, time I go to comb my hair. You have eight switchable devices on your person at the moment. At all times, I mean, yes. At minimum, well, minimum eight. Right. Um. All right. Let's before we start this show, let's talk about Goosebumps. Uh, the, and R.L. Stein. And R.L. Stein, the book series. So I'm gonna go first. Okay. Because I was a, I was five years old when this book came out. I was. I don't know if I. I don't know if I was already buying Goosebumps at this time, but I know that um, maybe when I was six, probably I started buying them more. Maybe even later. But I know I started buying Goosebumps when I was in elementary school. And, uh, I really liked them. They were probably my first introduction to horror at all. But as I, as I started to get through them and read, read a lot of them, I, uh, personally advanced to the Animorph series, which I believe is probably a, a better written series altogether. That's not um, R.L. Stein, right? That's someone else? It's not. It's K.A. Okay. Applegate. Okay. Capital Applegate, right. So for me, the process of, of getting Goosebumps books was the same. It was for everybody else who had a Scholastics books was you would get like a catalog and you would thumb through it and you would select which books you wanted. And then your parents would pay for it. And then in a month or two, you the, the class would get their, their Scholastic shipment and everyone would get handed out and doled out their uh, books. Sure. I love those book orders. And, uh, for me, it was basically those two. And I remember like this, this fucking book on the back, it says it's five fucking dollars for this book by itself. So presumably that was the price. And for the reprint, I doubt that was the scholastic price. I bet you paid like two fifty for this book. I, I, I wonder, man, I, uh, I would love to know that information. It's not here in my references, but, um, like I wonder why they don't have like an MSRP on here in this in this listing of data. You probably have to find the schoolistic catalog database. Maybe. Um <clears throat> or if I had an actual copy of the an older version, it would probably say on the back. Oh, maybe that's probably maybe a good it would. Point. Yeah, mine definitely doesn't. I just have a cheap screenshot of the photo. Yeah. So but the the main thing about Goosebumps book is they at, <laughs> they absolutely reinforce the bad lesson of judging a book by its cover because for me i would pass on a goosebumps book that had a stupid looking cover Mm -hmm. and i would lean hard into a book that had a great cover so like i i never read piano lessons can be murder because this cover is stupid looking (laughs) um it's if you can't see it google it on your smartphone but if you can't do that and you're just listening and you'd rather just listen to us describe an image on your smartphone, then I guess I'll do the heavy lifting for you. Do it, anyway, man. it's it's a picture of a of a of a piano with two disembodied hands playing the keys. And it's got like this sort of like fisheye warped like lens yeah, the, look the to it. The keyboard curves away into nothing as instead of vanishing point style. Right. 
and and then in a classic goosebump fashion it has a little bit of like a word on the cover or a sentence on the cover that sort of gives it a little bit of pop and this one is play it again hands and i don't is i don't know if that's a joke or a pun it seems i think really that's dumb. i think that's supposed to be a reference to play it again sam the oh, thing wow. that nobody ever said in casablanca so it's doubly stupid it's my first wow. note <laughs> so oh wow getting into that wow but goosebumps had these and th- and that was the thing so for me like if i looked up like i, I could tell you just from the just knowing what Goosebumps covers looked like, like like I remember I remember vividly getting exceptionally excited for the Abominable Snowman of Pasadena. There's that famous ventriloquist doll, right? He was in a couple. Uh, yes, Slappy. The, Slappy. Um, I remember that cover vaguely. The Night of the Living Dummy. Yeah. Um, my the one that always sticks in my head, and the one I I honestly, if memory serves, I didn't read because the cover scared me so much was the cover for Deep Trouble. The cover for Deep Trouble uh, show is basically Jaws inspired. It's a it's like a kid with flippers and a swimsuit sitting uh, like uh floating in some uh, ocean and you you see from under the water so you don't see his head above the water. His head's like just gone. And then there's this huge ha- like purple hammerhead shark swimming around him like it's going to get him. Right. And like it was it was the promise of exceptional Menace. violence yeah. yeah like 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 brutal brutal violence and uh the, the quote on the cover for that book is just when you thought it was safe ellipsis like it's it's clearly like jawsy right um so like that one really like stuck with me and like is, is i found deeply terrifying so like that that was how i would pick them but animorphs i would buy all of them because it was an actual like cereal but with goosebumps because they were so uh standalone standalone, yeah yeah you could you could just pop in and out and it would it would again you could you could absolutely indulge judging the book by its cover and get away with it so for me i'm disappointed already just in that the one we start we read had such a shitty cover (laughs) but whatever it's fine um (laughs) There are there. I promise there are good Goosebumps covers out there, and and the, some of the art is simul. Okay, there's basically two schools. There's either the really good scary art cover, um, and then there's the what the fuck am I looking at? Who chose this design? Right. I kind of feel like ours is the second. I mean, there's not much else. I guess you could have done a a ghost at the piano. Let's let's do this at the end of the episode. Once, yeah. once we once we talk about the whole book, let's That's do fair. the the thing we did with Dritz. I'll, I'll be bleep like, what that would out. You, how would you rather like do the the cover? Sure. Since this is, since they're so important. Okay. Sure. Sorry to jump down your throat. No, you're fine. You you're talking. fine. It's a good point. It's a good. All news. right. So you tell me more stuff about about. Did you have anything else you want to say about Goosebumps? Um, uh, about R.L. Stein. Sure. Yeah. You tell me that. Growing up, I was always too old for Goosebumps but I was a big reader of the Fear Street books. Mm-hmm. Um, they were, as my wife and her family calls them, trashy books. They were not allowed to read them. You know, preteen slashers, they kind of follow that. There's always a killer taking out people. Very mm-hmm. formulaic um, in retrospect. And there were, there were two authors that I read. There was R.L. Stein and Christopher Pike. And Christopher Pike always seemed to go that step farther that was like, 
I'm like, oh, are these for older kids? Am I should I not be reading these? These are surprisingly dark. Like in an R.L. Stein book, someone might be jealous that they were skipped over for cheerleading squad. In a Christopher Pike book, it would end with the protagonist tied to a bed as he realizes, A, his girlfriend is the murderer, and B, she's going to kill him by force-feeding him cocaine to make it look like an overdose. And the book ends. And I'm like, what the hell? So I was always a lot more in that camp, like, these books are naughty. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But I still read R.L. Stein, and and as I remember it, I think Fear Street would always do a Scooby-Doo-style psych-out, like if there was a supernatural element... It was always revealed to be manufactured mm-hmm. until he started his super chiller line, which actually involved monsters. It was, you know, when Scooby-Doo actually meets the gruesome ghoul or whatever. There, there mm-hmm. were actual supernatural things. And I believe it was the book Fear Street, Super Chiller, Good Night Kiss 2. Jeez. Right. About vampires. So I was excited. I was like, hey, vampire, sweet. And, you know, being a kid who read a lot of horror and fake-out horror books was always disappointed when they did a Scooby-Doo thing with the vampires. So anytime there were real vampires, I was excited. And this book had that, but as I remember it, and it's vague, and I tried to look it up today, and I think it mostly jibes, but it's still, I don't remember it too well. The main character is hell-bent on revenge for a vampire killing his sister or killing somebody, and spends the whole book hunting the vampire only the last act to reveal that he was been a vampire the whole time. But he's, he's been doing shit like having interior monologues about hating vampires, not mentioning he's a vampire going into sunlight shit that shouldn't happen. And the whole thing felt like a big lie as opposed to a sixth sense style misdirect. It just felt super, super cheap. And I was super, super mad. And I'm like, you know what? Fuck you, R.L. Stein. We're done. Yeah. Your books never involved murder by cocaine, and now you lie to me? <laughs> We're done. And so See, and I never read Goosebumps. Yeah. My memory of Goosebumps is they do have twist endings. Sometimes they're really fucked up uh, in my memory. And, and, I, and I, I say that as being able to absolutely 100% describe to you what happens in beat for beat in Egg Monsters from Mars. That's the one I remember you telling me about. That one sounds right. horrifying. Because that's the one that, if you don't consider it, it's just a fun twist. If you start to really think about what it means, it gets really fucked up. Yes, That's exactly. what I remember you saying. Yeah, well, the, the, basically the premise of, for the, the, the synopsis of Egg Monsters on Mars is that the... Uh, Dana, the as far as I remember it, the uh, g- essentially genderless protagonist. Maybe the character has a gender that's specifically defined at some point, mm-hmm. but like it's, it could go either way with a name like Dana. With Dana, it can go either way, and that I don't believe. I feel like that was one of those books where Dana was referred to by by as like you, or oh, it was them. a second person book. No, but when everyone would someone would talk to Dana, gotcha, they would gotcha, say, gotcha. "I'm telling you, Dana, you've got to do this." Or, okay, you know, you know, her uh, their parents would say something like, "You know, I thought I told you to talk to them about this." Something my memory is it's like that. Like Arl so Stein like, went out of his way to make it in every kid, so it could be accessible by anybody reading it. I think so. Okay, I think that's what it was, but that's what makes the end of the book so much 
creepier it, to me is because you have so so basically the way the book goes is uh, Dana finds an egg she finds a like a spotted alien egg in her backyard or somewhere very much supposed to be reminiscent of like an Easter egg hunt finding an egg in the grass found an egg except this egg is from Mars presumably it's an alien egg so somehow some way Dana gets the egg to and from uh, a I think a scientist laboratory or something and when she's in the lab or they're in the laboratory they the eggs like start to move and like pulse and shatter and out from them comes this like scrambled egg alien goo that crawls over them and pins them to the ground and then pulsates on top of her them and puts them to sleep puts Dana to sleep and when Dana wakes up they are feeling better but the egg monsters I think still on them so Dana uh, pushes the egg monster off them eventually escapes the laboratory where the bad guy is trying to keep them captive gets out makes it home thinks that everything's fine I think even like maybe I can't remember exactly but like I think either they go to sleep and they wake up in the morning or as soon as they get home they have this sudden urge but either way I think I think it's they wake up in the morning and they have a sudden urge after seeing like the (laughs) after seeing the world be better now that they've escaped this horrible uh mad scientist laboratory gets a sudden feeling of pressure in their abdomen and the book ends with the with the the final lines of the book are and i laid the biggest egg you'd ever saw and so the implication is oh like is laid an egg that's not a big deal if you're a kid and you're just reading it surface level weird laid an egg but like i i can't help it and i started thinking more about it <laughs> and thinking about how we're, i basically just read a story about how a child was raped by an alien and impregnated by that alien. I mean, that's the entire point of the movie Alien. Right. And, and which just sounds like it's riffing. It's like... Yeah. Think about what but, you're putting in the book, man. But, like, in Alien, the, the chest burster bursts forth from the chest. Sure. Like, and kills the host. Right. And in, and in this... Okay, so I have, let me back up and talk about the, the little bit I understand about bird physiology. <laughs> okay. So, we're going to talk about bird eggs... Uh, birds lay eggs uh, from their cloacas. Right. So, so birds have one hole that produces uh, eggs and excrement. Poop and breakfast. Now, t- technically, it comes from it comes from two different places in the hole. Sure. But the hole is a unified purpose hole. Right. They meet. So, up. right. So, with a bird, if you lay an egg, it's like cool. I know where that comes from. It laid an egg. Done. But with a human, our excrement and reproductive organ systems are separated. And especially if you have a genderless character, it becomes even more confusing as to where this egg is being produced. (laughs) So when the character says, I laid the biggest egg you ever saw, to me, it makes me think, did this character get impregnated or bred, inseminated, whatever word you want to use, by an alien, produce an offspring, and pass that egg. 
right through their through their reproductive organs which again if you're talking about a male character is sounds awful and excruciating excruciating if you're talking about a female character it's still really creepy even if it makes a little more biological sense but and then there's the other alternative of if it was in the back door which is even which I don't know if it's worse or no, not. No, it's I, just gross. I, I, it, it's it's pretty bad because as a parent, I've definitely been in the room for uh, uh, constipation. Yeah, and it's not pleasant. No, and uh, the biggest egg ever sounds really traumatic. Right. Well, for then any, there's that any orifice. Sure, and then there's that extra level of okay. Well, what if this isn't so much literal? What if it's, what if Dana's gone insane and sh- and they're actually just taking a shit? Like, what if this character is just squatting on their lawn and shitting like like t- J- Jim Carrey and me, myself, and Irene, just right. like on on a lawn, just pooping in front of everyone? Even that's not better. Like, it's not, <laughs> there's no. Basically, what I'm trying to say is I've spent time rationalizing <laughs> the last chapter of egg monsters from mars right and i cannot come up with a scenario where i feel like the if when it makes sense it's good the the only it's only bad when it makes sense either i read either i read a children's book while i was a child about a child getting raped by aliens or i read a story about a child who convinces themselves they've been raped by aliens and then in an insane cry for help shits on their front lawn. I mean, at a certain level, I feel bad (laughs) for the character and for myself and for the author. And I don't know what, I don't know the why, I don't know why this happened. I don't know what RL Stein thought was cool about this, (laughs) but he did. And he wrote it and Scholastic published it and sold it to kids and kids read it. It's, it's, yeah, so that's uh, so that's book forty-two in Goosebumps, Egg Monsters from Mars. So, <laughs> um, yeah, Goosebumps. Uh, some of them stick with you. Uh, <laughs> so for me, my point was the end of Egg Monsters from Mars stuck with me forever. Like, it is a part of me. Sure. And so, like, my memory is that the that Goosebumps does have twist endings, and they can be kind of hardcore sometimes. Because I would consider that pretty hardcore. Like, I would consider that not, I'm going to kill you with cocaine hardcore. But, like, as I've said, if you start to think about what's happening, sure. it, it, like, escalates in severity quickly. Right. Um, not like the Casper movie or something. Because like, that's how I would generally com- compare them. Like, I would say the first 95% of Goosebumps books are the Christina Ricci, Devin Sawa, Casper movie level of scariness that movie's pretty fucked up too because they kill her their her dad but then (laughs) have a one-off special machine that brings him back they still kill him (laughs) it's it's still again if you think about what happened they had to kill him they had to murder him (laughs) it's true to have the moment where they can bring him back it doesn't undo the murder the murder still happened anyway spoilers for the ghostbusters spinoff casper um, yeah, Harold Ramis is not coming back, bud. Uh, so Dan Aykroyd. 
I wasn't talking about him. I was talking no. about the one, the one Ghostbuster who's actually dead. Well, I'm talking about the one Ghostbuster that was actually in it. In what? Casper. He was in Casper? Yeah, that's why I call it a spinoff, because he runs out of the oh. house going, who are you going to call? Someone else. Oh, And then I Father Guido Sarducci went in, got his head twisted around, and oh, Catherine Moriarty weird. was like, ah, Catherine Moriarty. So there's like a lot of SNL in that movie. I don't think Catherine Moriarty was on an SNL. She no, was in but the Virgin other two Bowl. guys. Yeah. Right. Yeah, okay. Okay. So Eric Idle. We, I think we're, we've distracted I gotta ourselves. see that movie again. Um, <laughs> I think I so, just watched it. So yeah, the end, my, my memory is that the end of Goosebumps books can twist you up and can have that thing. Right. Like my, my, my impression is that I bet you the end of how I got my shrunken head is that the main character's head becomes shrunken and gets put on a shelf somewhere. Sure. My guess, just from looking at the cover and looking at the title, is that that's what would happen. Like the title's so, a misdirect. Exactly. I that's my memory. So I may, maybe that's, uh, you know, a thing that happens. But that is not today's do any, book. Do you have anything else you'd like to say about Goosebumps books before we started on this one? I do not. Okay. Cool. Well, as we said before, the book we're reading is Goosebumps book what thirteen? Is that what I said? Yep. Spooky um, thirteen. Book 13, Piano Lessons Can Be Murder. So, did you want to say anything more about the cover? Nope. Okay. Um, then, uh, let's see if there's anything else before we actually just get into the story. Nope. Okay, uh, here's... I'm going to just go through a synopsis, I think. That's what we'll I was... Just, yeah, that's what we'll I was going to suggest, whole, since it's so I'm gonna, short. I'm going to do the whole book's overall synopsis, and then we'll sure get into page I won't interrupt you notes. at all. Try not to, unless I completely miss an important part of the plot. Okay. So here we go. Uh, summary. Jerry and his parents have just moved to a new town. They discover a piano in the attic that must have been left by the previous owners. At night, Jerry can hear the piano playing on its own. After several investigations, Der Jerry determines a ghost is playing the piano at night. But by the time he discovers this, it's too late. Jerry's already enrolled in piano school with the creepy Dr. Shriek. Dr. Shriek's music school is full of big robots, creepy janitors, and rumors about children gone missing after piano lessons. By the end of the book, Jerry is fed up with the hauntings and in, uh, the intense hand-obsessed piano teachers and his parents' annoying cat. But Jerry is attacked by Dr. Shriek when he announces he's done taking lessons. The janitor, Mr. Toggle, comes to Jerry's rescue and reveals the piano teacher, Dr. Shriek, was actually a robot of his own design. But then Mr. Toggle turns on the boy and attacks him in an attempt to steal the boy's hands after Jerry tries to leave. Mr. Toggle, Mr. Toggle needs human hands for the construction of his piano-playing automatons, insisting that manufacturing human hands that can play the piano autonomously as well as human hands can is impossible. Jerry escapes with the help of the ghost haunting his piano and the spirits of Mr. Toggle's victims carry the janitor away. There you nope. go. That's what happens in this book. It sounds worse as a synopsis than when I read it. <laughs> uh, um, okay. So I have a note on page four. I don't I, know how we should do this, basically. Is, is I, there... I think just kind of run through the notes. Yeah. Um... All right, I'll go on my page four note then. I mean, I've got a. It's just a complaint about the opening sentence. It's fine. Go to page, 
Like what's your what's if I mean we can't I just, have a note. I thought I was the... going to hate moving into a new house, but actually I had fun. And I don't know. I just I saw that. And I'm just like this feels like uh, Salvatore all over again, where it's just like the first sentence is set up and the second half deconstructs it. Right sure. Zero. I don't. Know. I was just. I'm. Just, I was in a grumpy mood. <laughs> but be. But to to deconstruct your deconstruction. Deconstruction. Yeah. It's two sentences. I'm sure. Yeah. No, you're right. You're right. You're right. I'm, you're I'm right. sure, <laughs> I'm sure right. Mr. Stein will take your apology letter. Um. R. A. Salvatore. R. L. Stein. I'm noticing a pattern here. J. K. Rowling. Are bad. Are bad people. My initial impression is to not Uh-oh. read books with people with initials. <laughs> okay. Um, page four. Page four. My note here is, uh, considering Jerry's penchant for jokes that don't land and hating a particular pet, I wonder if it'll be Rob or I who admits to relating to him first. Oh, I don't relate to Jerry. You don't relate to the the guy who is so preoccupied with making jokes regardless of if they land and irritating everyone around him to, because it makes him happy. You don't relate to that guy. I don't, you don't think relate I like to, what you're implying. You don't, you don't relate to the sequence <laughs> after sequence of him doing things that are, he, that he can recognize are, are, are not enjoyed by anyone else. So <laughs> my actual note during his, uh, his tricking his father into dropping the kettle on his foot prank. Right. Right. Is, uh, this kid's an asshole. <laughs> so, yeah, I don't okay. really, because, sure. uh, I'm a good person. <laughs> All right. Fair enough. Um, <laughs> I do not like that read. Uh, nope. <laughs> My wife does not uh, get to listen to this one. <laughs> All right. Uh, I have a note on ch- uh, page. Wait, I have a, I have a note at the, uh, at it, for chapter 12, it says. Well, let's talk about the first... piano. Okay. Let's talk about the piano. Is there a reason this piano would be left? Um, Instead I mean, I sold, think... they sell it in a couple of days. I mean, I guess it comes with a ghost, but who's going to know that when they're selling it? I don't know, man. I think it's, it's like, it's not, it's just not super important. Like, okay, there's a Geico ad that right now that's literally like the same premise, which is like the gecko and some guy go up to an attic in this house he just bought. And there's a whole bunch of stuff that people left there when they, when they moved out of the house. Sure. And then, and then they hear like a creak or they see a bunch of creepy dolls and they're like, all right, I'm leaving. It's, it seems more of a trope than it is a thing that's trying to represent literally something realistic. Don't, don't, don't nitpick the unreality fine i i mean it's yeah it's you can we're, we're gonna nitpick whatever we want i'm just saying like for me i i looked at it as oh this is this is required okay like this has to happen what's your note in chapter 12 i've got a couple in chapter 12 do you have anything before chapter 12 i don't think so chapter 12 is page 60 well i only have 63 pages so i'm gonna say it's probably oh, around okay. page 30 for me okay well my chapter 12 note is, uh, at this point, I feel like we've read the sequence where Jerry hears the spooky piano playing, investigates, discovers something or nothing is playing the piano, gets interrupted by his parents, goes to bed and hears the piano playing again before falling asleep multiple times. I oh, absolutely. how many have. more times this exact sequence will play out before the book is finished. Did you happen to count them? I believe it's... T- I, I think that the thing about R.L. Stein is that I think he does that twice 
and then moves on to another thing that he does twice. So like the piano thing, I think was two or three times if you count. Okay. So if you count the first time when he goes up to the attic and finds it, that's one. Then he goes to the living room and finds it twice, I believe. So technically, I think it's a, it's three times that this right. this sequence plays out the same fucking way over and over again, and then after that, um, it becomes the like, I think it becomes the thing where he's like in the school and he's like not sure he's gonna get out a couple times or or like it's like the thing where he's like he's trying to escape the the Doctor Screech and then he escapes him with the help of uh, Mister Toggle. Uh oh, Mister Toggle does the exact same thing Dr. Screech was doing to him. So we're just going to reread that again. And it's just like, why? Dr. Um, Shriek will be played by Dustin Diamond. <laughs> he's dead. Um, Spooky. Even spookier. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, I have a note at the end of chapter 12 too. Oh, so do I. But why don't you tell me yours? Uh, the chapter's cliffhanger is the piano playing by itself violently but the next chapter doesn't explain what was playing the piano was it the ghost or was it the annoying cat oh shit mine was sorry that was the end of 13 so let me look at this okay good uh i can read it to you i'm just gonna read it to you so we can loud jaggling noise like someone pounding furiously on the keys with heavy fists pound 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 jerry stop it mom shouted from the living room i'm not doing it i cried and then the start of chapter 13 Smash is... Smash cut to Dr. Frey's office. Yeah, where the kid is it, like doing psychi- psychiatry therapy. It's not a bad <laughs> like, smash cut from him acting crazy to the psychiatrists. It's it's not if, if that's sort of like... But okay, the problem is we don't know what's actually... The audience doesn't have a clue about what's actually happening. Gotcha. So like, we don't know if it's... Like, okay, here's the, the couple of scenarios I can imagine that seem the most reasonable. Either the cat's just doing it, or the right. cat's stuck in the piano, which I think happened at one point, um, which is fine. I would I would accept that. Then, Or there's the, it's a ghost playing it, smashing it violently, and Jerry's mom's not looking at him to see that he's not touching the piano when it's happening. Right. Or Jerry's smashing on the piano, and his mom's like, Jerry, stop that. And he's like, I'm not doing it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's almost like this book's written by a lazy liar. Yeah, <laughs> I, I I can't refute that at this because point. Because look at the end of chapter thirteen. Okay. And this, I know this this is this is borderline nitpicky, but I'm gonna I'm gonna address the Pick letter of the law. Um, I made my way through the empty waiting room and stepped into the hallway, and then I felt the ghost's icy grip tighten around my neck. Chapter fourteen. The unearthly cold shot through my entire body. Uttering a terrified cry, I jerked away and spun to face her. Mom, I cried. Sorry, my hands are cold. No, you're a liar. You told me it was the ghost. You didn't say right. you thought it was the ghost. You said right. it was the ghost. You dirty fucking liar. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I think that the... Here's the only allowance I'll give him for that. Sure. Is, is, is simply that I think when you're writing a book for, for an audience this young, this is enough to scare them. It is. And it's, it's enough to scare them without actually, like, traumatizing them. It is. However, I'm, again, pointing out the difference. You can have that exact same exchange, wording it carefully, semantically, if you will, and then 
you're not talking down to the children either. And you can scare them with the exact same scare, but without lying. Oh, I, I hear what you're saying. I'm just saying, like, I think that. I I'm think talking he's... about the lie. I don't care that he used this device no, gonna... of a fake out. No, no, no. I'm going to I'm, I'm going to the lie. I think that if you if you don't lie to them in this way, then you have to be a better they... writer. Well, I, I I guess that's a that's an easy blanket statement to make. So so instead of saying that, I'll say that you may be training them to be better readers, which won't make the experience of reading the book as enjoyable. Because it needs to be, it, this book needs to be able to span the grades of like th- third to six of of interest in order to sell copies. And I can't imagine what the rigors of Scholastics were like pr- production would put on a guy like R.L. Stein to make his books lowest common denominator for a entire ca- school level I, of children. I do not think it was the rigors of Scholastic. I think it was R.L. Stein showing up at the Scholastic office going, "Hey, I turned out ten books last night. Where's my money?" It's entirely possible. I need. I need. I got this deal with Nickelodeon. I need to go write Eureka's Castle. Did you know he created that? I don't even know what that show is. It had puppets. It had a. It had a bespectacled bat that I always thought looked like Rick Moranis. Oh, cool. Um, I, I, I don't, I will, I will, I want to make sure it's clear that I do agree with you. I okay. don't like the lying. I, I, I do think that it's, I think you could have said, I felt a icy grip tighten around my neck and some method of, was it the ghost? Uh, yeah. Uh, one of the interesting things about the goosebumps wiki, wiki that I found, okay. uh, discusses the variations of reprints, like alterations in reprints. Like actual alterations to the texts? Yes. Oh, interesting. Um, so, like, for this book specifically, I guess we're, we can get into this now. I wonder if that's why um, my scan is version 1.5. Huh. Well, this one, the reprints and the, the reprint changes in this one are not that drastic. Okay. Literally, it says the differences are that the 2004 reprint uses a mirrored version of the original cover art, which we already discussed. And the 2020 Retro Fear Collection uh, reprint drops the page count from 120 pages to 116. Well, they just but, changed the font a bit. Yeah, mine filled is up some actually... filled those empty pages. Save mine's paper. 124, but I guess that's not including the first four pages. Mine's 60, no, but that's because it's... Or 63, but that's because it's PDF style. Weird. Um, but there are others where, like, I was looking at a different one mm-hmm. that was showing me much more dramatic changes to the text let me see if i can find the one i was reading before sure here i'll go to this one because we're not gonna okay differences uh all right so in uh the the very next book after this one werewolf of fever swamp in the international release some of the differences were, were in in the french release this is the 13th book in the original series Interesting. and and Grady, the character Grady is called Gary, and the character Will is called Bill Stark. In Portugal, this uh, Werewolf of Fever Swamp was the sixth book in the original Goosebumps series for some reason. Hmm. Um, those aren't necessarily changes to the text. I wish I could find one that is that's that. If we had produced this show better. Okay, here we go. Well, I, I don't want to do this one. Um, I'll cut all this out. Don't you worry. Okay, good. I'll You cut out all the bad stuff. Okay, here we go. In was this Welcome to Horrorland? 
So like a haunted amusement park? One Day at Horrorland is a haunted amusement park book. And the in the reprint, the different, or excuse me, in the international release, the differences are things like Lizzie is called, in the French release, Lizzie is called Lissay, Luke is called Luke, L-U-C, Clay is called M- Matthew, and Horrorland is called Horror Park. Anyway, none of these are actually like reprint changes because the I I don't know I can't find anyone that are doing that, but it's it certainly seems as if that's a thing that does happen. So, I find that very interesting. Um, oh, totally. So, uh, but but I agree that like those little things could be better. The thing that I hate about those those build ups and those fake outs that, one they happen every fucking chapter it seems too much. Mm-hmm. And now and now it, but but again if you are only reading a chapter a day because you're a child learning to read that will be an that'll be like having a, a cliff a good cliffhanger no, every time you're right you makes you want to turn the page and continue and mom just one more chapter i get that that's right i don't have a problem as such i i wish i wish it was a little more <laughs> subtle uh, agreed sometimes I, it just feels like even for the age range these books are for there's still Kind of, he's still kind of writing down, and I get there are kids who are developmentally reading wise maybe need an easier level to hook them. <sighs> no, this this I don't know. Um, yeah, we'll we'll get there at the end when we do a yeah. But uh, yeah, I I I feel you. I I also don't like it when that happens. It 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 it's a fucking obnoxious. As as a adult, it feels obnoxious to read through them. And I imagine if I was reading this to a child, I would be even more obnoxious. So. Uh, I have a note on chapter 18. Well, I'm trying to find out when he first meets Kim. Oh, it's very brief. It's it almost very... not even worth it. Like... Well, I, there was actually a thing I feel like I was interested in. But you're right. It does seem like it's very brief because. All right, here it is. It's chapter seven. Chapter seven. Yeah. Seven. That was going to hurl. <laughs> I did. I did find it also amusing. She was kind of pretty, and so was the ghost. It made me wonder: A, are they related? B, just commit to something, Jerry. Jesus. Yeah. Um, kind of pretty. Had long, straight black hair and green eyes, and her name is Kim Lee Chin. And other than the green eyes, unless he's a big fan of Big Trouble in Little China, it sounds like she's Asian. But other than that description, never calls any of that out. And I thought that was kind of neat. Well, her mom drives a Honda. Which I thought might be a, another weird, like subtle hint. Is that a thing? It's in the book. I mean, I'm saying no. Mom, is that a, a hint of being Asian? A, uh, only in the sense that Honda is, I believe, a Japanese car manufacturer. So, like, well, only Chen in that sounds sense. Sounds Chinese, but agreed. I don't. I'm again. I'm. Tr- I'm trying to meet the thing you've you've set up. Oh, I'm, I'm just I'm saying trying. he's not making a deal out of it. Which. Oh, okay. Just, that was what was interesting. Okay, my, he sounds I like he's describing someone who's Asian, but then doesn't call it out. He's just describing say features sh- of this girl. Yeah, was yeah. Just, I, I'm just doesn't like, say oh. like she was coming from Mandarin lessons or or something sure. like weird like that. Yeah, right. But then also being like, oh, but I'm I'm taking Mandarin, but I'm Irish, right. racist. <laughs> With my green um, eyes and my black hair. <laughs> um, yeah, cool. I can say that because I'm an awful person. Yeah. So you said 18? I have something to say at chapter 18. Tell, Talk to me. The beginning of chapter 18. 
So this book started as a ghost story, kind of became a mad musician story, and now there's robots? <laughs> what is going on here? Uh, and then I have another note, mid-chapter 18. Okay. Um, my mid-chapter 18 note. So Mr. Toggle is supposed to be some kind of computer wizard and invents an eyeball-controlled saxophone. Yes. I know we're supposed to think this character is dangerously insane, but to imagine that you could improve musical alacrity by replacing finger movements with eyeball movements is downright dumb. Perhaps this could be modified to give disabled musicians a chance to play again, but that's not how it's presented here. That is what I thought he was doing, but you're right. No, that, that I had to bring that to the party. Ex- yeah, exactly. Like, he... Mr. Toggle's like, think about how amazing this is. You control a musical instrument with your eyes. And it's like, uh, and <laughs> if you have hands, correct it's me if I'm wrong. Better. Other than a mystery, we never go back to the little voice in the cabinet. No. Because I was just scrolling past at the end of 18 and there, and they like, I stopped by the side of the cabinet and listened again and heard, or listened hard and heard it again. A little voice, very faint. Help me, please. I, I like, oh yeah. shit, right. That was just something creepy, but we never come back to it. I think that here's my my theory. Okay. My theory is that R.L. Stein is trying to give us. Okay, imagine if this was a cartoon or not a cartoon, but a, like a live action show. Okay, there's all these things that would be delivered, all this information that would be delivered in the performance that he's not delivering in the text. Like when Mr. Toggle's like, "I don't know what you're talking about, Jerry," because you're reading it in text, you can't tell what kind of inflection he's giving. When I read it. Because of Jerry having to go see a psychiatrist at a certain point and like feeling like he has to prove that he's not insane, I feel mm-hmm. like R.L. Stein's trying to paint a picture that we can't trust that Jerry says he's not insane. He wants us to sim- to believe that the ghosts could be real because we're seeing them through Jerry's perspective, but also maybe Jerry's perspective isn't trustworthy. Maybe he's insane. Mm. So I was thinking like same with same thing with the piano playing loudly on its own and Jerry's mom being like, Jerry stop. And him being like, it's not me. And then just not talking about that anymore. That what if that in uncertainty about what's actually happening is I believe there by design to make the audience believe for a second, maybe this kid's actually just crazy and he's making all this up. And then the twist at the end will be, we find out he's actually just gone insane and he's going to be Brittany Murphy'd up in a room like, never telling anybody that he was insane. Right. But I think the same happens with the kid in the lockbox or whatever it was, is the same sort of idea of like, is this guy hearing voices? Does he hear things that aren't there? His parents aren't hearing the piano playing. They're not hearing any of that stuff that he's hearing that he, it's causing him all this like anxiety. Maybe he's, maybe it's something in his head. Maybe there is a ghost. Maybe he's insane, but that's, I think why that stuff keeps popping up throughout this book. So, no, we don't ever hear about it again because. It, Sorry, you couldn't hear me nodding, but I was agreeing with you. No, no, we, we, we do. I could see you nodding, but we I do. Uh, <laughs> I wasn't talking to you. Right. We you. do get the uh, the bit about like we, we basically get the confirmation that he's he isn't crazy because the end of the book has the the ghost from his house and all the victims of Mr. Toggle coming in and like seizing Mr. Toggle and taking him away. Um. So I don't have I, I don't have any notes, but I do like but I do want to sort of like sum up basically what happens throughout the book a little bit more. Now that we've gone through our notes, I want to give a little bit more like depth about what happens in the book. So okay. 
there's a couple of scenes that were really interesting. For example, like uh, Jerry sees this ghost in his room or in his house playing the piano. And he sees this like very classic, like woman in a, a, a long, like gray white sort of nightgown. She's monochrome. She's translucent. Right. Classic playing, playing the piano, long black gray hair, something like that. Um, and at some point she looks at him and tells him to, to leave her piano alone. It's very creepy, very scary. And then her face melts. Right. And her her skull is shown and she just and I think even her eyeballs stay, her eyeballs or stay something. in the skull. Yeah. And that really traumatizes Jerry. Um, and then he while he's going and taking lessons with, from from Mr. Shriek, he starts to hear rumors or, or suspect that. Dr. Shriek's kind of obsessed with Jerry's hands and he keeps like ogling them and like, like being showing a lot of interest in them. It's too much interest. Uh, and at the end of the book, we realize that, uh, Mr. Toggle has been making these robots that are basically like full sized humanoid automatic piano playing machines that use human hands to play the keys autonomously. And because for some reason, he can't make hands that are perfect. I, I think I referenced this earlier already, but the idea is that like, that's the, the twist at the end is like the thing that the reason they want their, the reason this school is teaching children to play the piano so that they can steal their hands and use them for nefarious purposes. And then it's revealed later that the ghost herself was one of the victims. Mm-hmm. She doesn't have any hands. Nope. So when she plays the piano, she's doing it handlessly. Yeah, I've got that part actually right in front of me. Oh, go ahead. The story is about the school. She answered, her hair falling over her face. There's true. Uh, then she started to raise her hands off, her razor arms off the piano keys. They're true, she moaned. The stories are true. She held her arms up to me. Gasping at them in horror, I cried out, then started to gag. Her arms ended in stumps. She had no hands. To which I have my note. How did she play the piano without hands? Practice. Because <laughs> it amused me. It's not even that funny. It just made me laugh. So that's um, that's that's the end of what happens in this book. Is is all it leads up through all of that. The kid, it's a haunted piano, takes piano lessons, uh, is creeped out by his piano teacher, ends up realizing that there's a a, a plot in the town he's moved to where children get their hands lopped off and stolen and it's all real it all it all we, there's no point in this story where they're like ah psych this character was crazy nope it's all apparently really happened even kim seems to know something about it because she's creeped out by the guy yeah it's uh it's a lot going on in this story it's a lot it's it's too much like i i actually like i didn't hate this book because it's one, you know, it's a fucking grain of salt. Like, it's just, it's not that important. It took me but an like, hour to read, if that. Right. But, like, oh, I read, that took me a lot longer. I was also reading aloud. Like, I was, I was definitely. I wanted like, to. My child wouldn't let me. Oh. It's like, really. I can read this to you. She's like, no. You enjoy, you suffer in misery. It's, it's not, it's not a, it's, it's a bad read. But, but if you take away the book, if you throw the book away, and you take the the elements of the story. Mm-hmm. The, it could I could see this making a fun short horror film. Yeah, like parts of it. Maybe you remove the robots because they just don't. 
I mean, and unless you just want to be like, you know what? Let's fucking go for it. Let's mix robots and ghosts like a Scooby-Doo episode. But it does seem like you could just have a, a an inventor slash piano teacher combine Toggle and Screech or whatever his name is together to make one antagonist. Is there a benefit to making Mr. Screech uh, a robot? Shriek. Shriek, whatever. Shriek. You've, got, you've got me doing it now. Um, even even going so far as to have him walk stiffly, he could have created his own robot legs. That could be a part. He could have modified himself, and that would have been creepy, too. He's into body horror. You get that same cronenberg vibe. Which I, I think is here. I, I really like the disembodied hand element. That's what I mean. When you take down the elements of this story, the parts of them that are that work, I think work regardless of how bad this book is. The creepy teacher, again, it, it, there's so many little things. Mm-hmm. Um, but like the actual reading of it is fucking horrible. That, that's what I would put on the back of the book. I, um, I, I have no problem with that. I'm down with vampires um, at the beach. I like Lost mm-hmm. Boys, but uh, did not like R.L. Stein's. Yeah. I do have a, uh, do you have any more notes or cause I, I, I don't would, actually, mm-hmm. I'm out. I have a kind of an overview that I'd like to start before I go into really breaking down the elements that I think work. Okay. Um, which is, uh, I think R.L. Stein's doing a lot of interesting things in his writing. Uh, he finds an extremely mundane and relatable aspect of middle class of a middle class child's life, like music lessons, and turns that anxiety around performing well into a child's horror story. Uh, his writing style comes off like he's padding out a book by over explaining and over describing but I think that's obviously by design to help the target audience who's learning to read, keep up with the story. But it's also kind of like he's pacing out sequences like a filmmaker as if he's writing for a TV adaptation. Mm-hmm. And that's sort of what I was saying about the, the, the sequence where when you're talking about Mr. Toggle, seeing Jerry freak out about the sounds he's hearing, I think in a performance, you could see Jerry freaking out and you could hear the audience hearing this. And then you could see him shaking like the, the lock or whatever. But then you see, Mr. Toggle looking at Jerry, like Jerry, what are you talking about? Like, like have a delivery. That's like an empathetic concerned adult, not understanding why this kid's having a freak out because they don't perceive the thing the kids perceiving that's causing them to freak out. Right. And then you have that retrospective shot where they show in, like they show all the times Jerry freaked out and, but they show the other person's perspective where they're like, I don't hear anything. And you can hear the, them not hearing anything. You can see that no one's playing the piano in the scenes where Jerry's freaking out and yelling at the piano and, and, and all that. Um, and I think that would all work really well in a TV show. It doesn't really, pl- he's not writing it to play in the book. Sure. And that, that bums me out because I feel like that would, it, honestly, it would be even, it would be even better if it was written in the book to make the show, work if right. that was ever part of the intention was there a goosebumps um, show oh fuck yeah oh interesting oh dude yeah uh night and terror tower is a fucking great episode um and that's my memory at least um, do you know if they did this one i can certainly find out my guess is no hmm. i know they did uh werewolf of fever swamp that's another good one also don't go into the basement's a good one um Wow. Piano Lessons Can Be Murder was adapted into an episode of the Goosebumps TV series. It is the eighth episode of season one. Hmm. Anybody famous get their start in it? In uh, Piano Lessons Can Be Murder? Yeah, like Young Jesus, Ryan Gosling or something. Suck. 
Um, uh, dear goosebumps.fandom.com, your ads suck. <laughs> um, no one I recognize. Uh, Scoping out the IMDb real quick. Ben Cook, Barclay Hope, Carolyn Scott, Aaron Tager, Brenda Devine, Gaza Kovacs, Erica Luttrell. Nope. Nope. Um, yeah. You know, it is what it is. Anyway, the, uh, so, but I, 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 I could feel like I could see how the show would work from reading it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that there's some value in that too, but now I'm kind of interested in watching the episode. If I can find it somewhere, just I'm sure it's on YouTube. Like. I bet I would bet you it's on YouTube. I feel like I've watched, I've tried watching one of these relatively recently. And it was that it just, they aren't very good. Right. They're just like that. They feel so much like they were produced by focus on the family in that way of like, it's bad production, bad acting, but instead of knowing it's bad because it's Christian propaganda, it's it's like, oh, I'm disappointed that it's bad because it's children's horror. Right. That could be fun. Um, so, yeah, the... Uh, um, wow, there's a whole bunch that's different from the book in the episode. Oh, Jerry's nightmare of Dr. Shriek making him play faster and faster until his hands hurt is omitted from the episode. Seems like it would take up a lot of time. All those, Jerry all those never... trips up to the attic to see what's playing. Jerry never visits the psychiatrist, Dr. Fry, in the episode. Also, you, you can't have him continually go, what's that music coming from? Uh, you can't film all that if you're doing things like character building and set pieces. In the book, the ghost in Jerry's house is described as being a young lady. In the episode, the ghost is an old lady. <laughs> yeah, she wouldn't have perfect hands. Come on, man. I get, but old lady ghosts are scarier to children because children fear age and death. They definitely fear being old, yep. being a child to be like a friend. Yeah. Um, so Jerry's personality. Jerry's personality is different in the book. Jerry's a prankster in the episode. He has an overactive personality and pretends he is an explorer and tends to talk in third person. That sounds horrible. That sounds, sounds like somebody like... saw something like that in a different TV show and tried to emulate it. And their goosebumps show. She does sound a little psychotic though. Sounds like the behavior of a psychopath. Um, several scenes with the ghost, including the scene where her face melts off, are omitted from the episode. Because that's money. Uh, in the episode, Dr. Shriek never comes to Jerry's home for lessons. Instead, Jerry goes straight to the Shrek school. Shriek school. Uh, Jerry's neighbor Jerry's neighbor Kim is implied to be Asian in the book, but in the episode, she is depicted as African-American. Mm-hmm. Just saw that with the cast. Jerry's nightmare. Oh, yep. I think I said that already. Uh, in the episode, the ghost in Jerry's house used to be Mr. Toggle's strict piano teacher. In the book, the ghost is wasn't given a backstory. In the Goosebumps official collector's caps book, the ghost is said to be the a girl named Mara Klein, a student of Doctor Shriek. Mr. Toggle's motivations are slightly different in the episode. In the book, he is more deranged, serving uh, the perfect. No, excuse me, severing the perfect hands of others to use for his in- inventions to play beautiful music. In the episode, it's established that he uses those severed hands to play piano because he was too lazy to learn to play the piano himself. 
That's great. That's so fucking stupid. Um, <laughs> but in the book, but, but so, I, I I can also see it if you're looking at it from a very cynical point of view. You're looking at these are books for kids who maybe have a harder time reading, and if we're gonna trans mutate that into a television show where the kids don't even want to bother reading it because they're so into pictures. We need a simpler explanation. Yeah. Yep. Uh, in the book, Jerry's parents never see the ghost haunting the piano in the episode. Mrs. Hawkins sees the ghost exiting the school in the book. Dr. Shriek flips out because Jerry is quitting in the episode. He becomes enraged because Jerry is not taking his lessons seriously. At the end, it is just the ghost of Mr. Andrew Toggle's piano teacher instead of several ghosts. But instead of taking him away to an unknown fate, she makes him play the piano forever as punishment for torturing Jerry. In the Not for severing people's hands. In the final scene, the piano teacher's ghost says, This is your punishment for terrorizing the boy. You will practice and practice, Mr. Toggle asks in a sobbing voice. How much longer... The piano teacher ghost replies, Till eternity, you lazy boy. The wow. piano the piano is found in the basement of the house and not in the attic, nor is the piano moved. So there you go. <laughs> well. Weird. Um I think that they're I think that there's an interesting opportunity for for scholastics or someone to readapt these for a dip for an older audience a dark gritty reboot not necessarily that i wouldn't use those words but i do mean just like take like a very literal reboot just take out the stuff that's stupid from this and just like like i was thinking about it like the uh, the idea of a haunted instrument is in no way new oh no the idea of of like of a, of a haunting is, is in no way new. The idea of a mad scientist needing someone's body parts is no way new, but, and I think all those parts together, maybe even the robot, cause it's just so weird could play, could work. It just, I, I, I guess I, in a long, in a long way, Rob, I guess I'm just trying to say, I agree. I wish he was a better writer. Uh, and I think, I think he can do all of this and be a better writer, but for some reason he doesn't. But I, well, I mean, to his point, or to to his credit, I guess, he found a niche and certainly supplied a demand. Oh, yeah. And, so, and thank God for it. it I, I, I mean, it wasn't for me, but people liked it. I think my brothers might even have liked it. And they it, certainly it, did not like to read. It influenced me a lot. Like, I, I, like I'm telling you, these were some of the – these were the first series of books that I remember reading mm-hmm. – and reading and reading more. It was, I remember that like I had trouble reading as a kid. And for me, like it was, my mom would tell me things like, listen, I, I'm just glad you're reading. Like whatever right. you read, I'm just glad you're doing it because the more you do it, the better you'll be at it, etc., etc., etc. Read anything. So yeah, there weren't a lot of, um, fun series when I was that age. I think choose your own adventure was becoming big. Mm-hmm. And, but even that was, you know, like, Eight and nine up, not six and seven so much. And that left me what? Like the Oz books? Boxcar children? <laughs> These throwbacks yeah. from like the 30s and 50s. And I was like, they are entertaining no. and interesting, but they aren't specifically 
the the genre books I want. Narnia. Narnia was even a little bit later. I think eight and nine, ten. It was third grade. I'm trying. I'm trying to think of what books I had at like first, second. And I think it was like Boxcar Children and Oz. Yeah. Well. So I I might have loved these at that age too. What uh, I wanted to talk about the. I guess you would call it the level of violence and gore. I want to address and, and discuss the levels of violence of gore in this Goosebumps book. Because I feel like the Goosebumps book series, especially to but I want to ask you this question, I guess. Okay. When, as, as a person who had a perception, a bias against R.L. Stein and, and no interest in reading the Goosebumps books, what level of violence and gore did you expect to find? when you read now that we've read one what did you expect going into it i don't think i was thinking about levels of violence and gore so that didn't really occur to me i will say how it's presented is underlined by the character's horrific reaction to it it's you know it's italicized it's made worse <sighs> It's like the reverse of when you can talk a kid down from something because you can just kind of see the path like, oh, if I present something this way, they won't be freaked out. They won't be scared. I can right, just right. say this thing to them this way and that'll make it better for them. They'll be like, oh, it's a, you've reframed it. Okay. And this does the opposite of that. Hmm. This I actually found it kind of child like when the ghost lifts up her stumps and Jerome, Jerry, uh, sees them and screams. What are you, his mom? <laughs> Apparently I am. Somebody has to be. You let him get away with everything. When he, when she lifts up her hands, he screams and then gags. And they're really trying to, right. I mean, impl- I guess that implies gore. It's not just stumps because I don't think J- Jerry's the kind of kid who's going to go around gagging at disabled people. <laughs> Um, I hope I don't not. know. He is but, a trickster. He's a he's a real jokester. You <laughs> might think that's funny to laugh at to, to get to vomit at the sight of a handicapped person. But that that and the skull with where everything melts off and it's not just dwindling down to a skull. It's leaving the eyes intact. And those things are extra horrific. And it doubles down on the fact that it's horrific. It's not just telling you that it's horrific. It's saying, hey, kid, look, this is scary. And that's kind yeah. of intense. It, it is. I, I think those two scenes are really important for me in terms of like, I feel like that's the level where you get taken up a notch where it's like, wow, I, I, I'll say I don't remember necessarily like the the really horrific things. I remember the suspenseful things about Goosebumps books. I remember those the Hitchcockian like like walkie down the hallway and oh my God, cliffhangers. I remember like those after those after those persistently. Right. And, and my, my memory of reading these books doesn't really hinge on the horrific aspects, except for, as we talked about at length, egg monsters from Mars. Um, but th- I was kind of shocked when I was reading this one. And I got to that point where you sort of, you read it and you're like, Oh fuck. Like the, the ghost, I, I just remember thinking like if I was shooting a, this as a, as a, show and you could see the ghost sitting at the piano and you would see her playing but you'd never see her hands you're constantly framing it so you don't ever see her hands play the piano constantly until that one shot midway through the movie where she holds them up and they're just they're just stumps and she's like and that really freaks 
it's a shock. It would be right. a jump scare almost. And and the name of the melty face thing, like that's a that's like Raiders of the Lost Ark. Yeah. Like or I was it's funny because I thought of Raiders when we when I read it, but then just now it made me think of Last Crusade. Because when Donovan desiccates into an old man, I believe there's a split second where his eyes are still in the skull before they wither away into nothing. Wow. And you get a similar look. Equally horrible. Both. R- right. And then, and so that's just the the classic horror stuff. But then, like, you go further into the book and you see things like the whole notion that there would be an adult who would take the time to to lure children into a false sense of security and then dismember them and then keep their them dismembered captive somewhere that's really fucked up yeah like like that's a really terrifying concept to put in the brain of an 8-year-old like that there could be an adult someone you're supposed to trust who could be convincing you they're that your friend or that they're a responsible safe adult and not only could they hurt you, like, I remember being a kid and being told, like, there are strangers that could hurt you. And the phrase hurt was very vague. Mm-hmm. Like, it was it was never, they will rape you or molest you or or, or one of the, any of the other horrible fucking things that, you know, I know now as an adult, some horrible people do to children. But it would just be this generalized, safe, almost, version of the word hurt. And this book takes it to another level of being like, these people aren't just going to hurt children. They're going to like hurt like you would expect to be like, oh, I, I bruised my knee or I, I, you know, I got a black eye. It's like, no, they're going to cut your fucking hands off. And they're going to take those hands and they're not doing it for a good reason. They're just turning them into piano playing machines. And, and the idea that like, if you're a kid and you don't realize how, that that's, I guess, in one sense, I want to say it's it's ridiculous. In another sense, like, we know what some of the worst serial killers in the world have done. Right. In, or in history have done. And they're pretty horrific things. And so to imagine that, like, if, if you know, if Jeffrey Dahmer could try to turn would-be lovers into eternal zombie friends... Well, I mean, is it really that crazy that someone would habitually chop the hands off of children? Like, it's not. And so, like, as an adult, being able to recognize that is not really that crazy, I guess if you're a kid and you believe it, it would be even worse because you're the subject. You're the target of the hand lopping. Mm-hmm. So I I was kind of surprised at those moments, uh, especially the hand stuff at the end, where I felt like it just, it really did feel like, in a sense, like, this is kind of horrific. Like, this is, like, terrifying in a way. And I feel like that's the stuff that I would, I, I like about these books, is being able to say, like, wow, he, in, in some ways he writes down. Like, he, he definitely does write down in some ways. And in other ways, he doesn't pull punches. That's probably and why they were so popular. I think that's kids, true. I, I love, whenever I got something that was truly horrifying, I, I would treasure it. I loved that. And I can I can totally see that being a thing that uh, kids felt like they were getting away with something if it wasn't so scary their parents forbade them from reading it. But even then, you're like, oh, but what about at school? Am I forbidden from reading if it's in the library? Hmm. Or or like that there was that balance between or that between like the neon colored like fantasy world of Goosebumps, right? 
and the horrors that would happen there. And then like the black and white scratchy, scary was it shell Silverstein. Is that who did uh, scary stories to tell in the dark? No, no. I, I actually don't remember who did that. I, I know what you're talking about, but I don't know who that author was, but now shell did the poems. They had very simple pencil illustrations, although they were equally horrifying at times. The snake eating the person as they're writing a poem. Freaked me out. Um, Alvin Schwartz? Yes. And half the time, those things ended up being a joke, which helped balance right. out the uh, scary illustrations. I'm trying to remember what Shel Silverstein did that I would even recognize and why I would have him in my brain. Uh, where the sidewalk ends, help on being in, eaten by a bow constrictor, the giving tree. Those are all, but those are all like very nice and friendly. Mm. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> you think eating, eating, being eaten by a bow constrictor is scary? Or the one where the guy's got his, you know, he 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 glues his mouth together with peanut butter jelly sandwiches, and they have to like pry it open and crack his teeth, and he's, right. he's stuck that way for years. It's <laughs> terrifying, man. That sounds body weird. horror. That's fine. He was, he was um, Cronenberg for kids. Yeah, you know, Jim every kid's Cronenberg got, babies. Every kid's got to have his Cronenberg. Um, no, I'm I'm thinking about the like yeah, this is the scary stories to tell in the dark, the Alvin Schwartz stuff where you it's 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 much scarier, you know, in in directly scarier. It's that right. that especially the art, like the illustrations, oh, yeah. the arts. um, Arkham Asylum fucking haunting shit Nightmare like that house like that thing yeah that that guy who did the uh fear and loathing in las vegas art yeah you know that sort of like just ink that inky fucking darkness a madman scratched this in his own blood kind of art yes yes it's fucking haunting um and so like i feel like as as a kid that was the shit that i was reading was between those two things like in terms of trying to find scary stuff right and i, I my memory is the scary stories to tell in the dark is was much scarier like far darker and terrifying. It's funny because the only story of that I can remember is the guy who hears something in his a- attic. And the, it, the end result is after all this creepy setup, he screams blood curdlingly because he steps on a nail. Oh, fuck. Ouch. My feet feel like they when hurt it's already. like, haha, bait and switch. Yeah, yeah. I Wasn't there a one about a, a person who had a, like a spider bite? And then the spider bite like grew to be their whole body, and it was like a bunch of spider infestations in their body. Duh. I mean, I've heard variations on that story. That sounds terrifying. I can see that why that would be uh, body horror, scarring. Yeah, for children. I just don't remember that one. You're probably right. Um, I'm trying to see. I'm looking through some of the publications, and I'm not seeing any titles that say, "Oh yeah, that was totally." Because like, my memory is it's something like called like the Little Red Spot or something like that, uh, and it, you know. But I don't see anything like that. So either I misremembered it or I am talking out of my ass. But um, yeah, I just wanted to talk a little bit about how I, I was surprised and sort of pleasantly surprised at how horrific uh, Piano Lessons Can Be Murder was. Yeah, the red spot. Scary stories to tell in the dark. Oh, look at me. Remembering everything. Which apparently also made its way into the movie. Yeah, makes sense to me. Maybe, I know I saw that movie. I just don't remember really much about it. I remember being kind of bummed out by it. Sure. And, and it ends with like a promise of a sequel, I think. What movie doesn't anymore? <laughs> Fucking tell me about Sophie's it. Sophie's Choice 2. Uh, <laughs> Rosemary's Baby's having a baby. 
gross. Okay. Do you have anything you'd like to say uh, more about this book? I'm just glad that we're all done with R.L. Stein. There will be no more R.L. Stein books ever again. One yeah. and done. Hooray. Death Readers, one and done. Um, so I guess that brings us to the roll off. Yeah. We um, got? well, we're, uh, we're going to skip the roll off and just read what? Arl Stein's Goosebumps, Fuck. uh, book, um, I believe it's book 15. Are you fucking kidding me? I think it's book 15. We're not even going to do Werewolf of Fever Swamp. We the don't. One, I, the one monster no. I like. We're going to read. <laughs> you can't scare me. You can't. Book me. Book fifteen. You got a synopsis you want to treat us to? Yeah, maybe I'll do that this time instead of like I didn't do it last time. Probably would have been good. Okay, so the uh the back of the the book says this. They've got dirt on you. Courtney is a total show off. She thinks she's so brave. And she's always making Eddie and his friends look like wimps. Nothing can scare Courtney. Or so she says. Eddie's decided he's had enough. He's going to scare Courtney once and for all. He'll lure her down to Muddy Creek because he knows she actually believes those silly rumors. Rumors that creepy mud monsters are lurking there. It's just too bad that Eddie doesn't believe the rumors too. Because they just might be true. Okay. Yep, yep. Um, you can't scare me. Well, I've already got it. Wow, that was fast. You, you went to the store and just picked it up right then? Uh, let's say that is what I did. Uh, I'm totally bookmarking this website, unrelated. <laughs> You don't, you don't need to read Werewolf Fever Swamp. I'll take and tell you what happens in it. Oh, yeah, sure. Oh, I don't I don't really remember. I remember that there is a werewolf and it's a teenager. That's what I, I feel like that's what I remember. See, because I'm totally watching this show Teen Wolf now that I'm really enjoying. Mm-hmm. Because... Uh, the cover for Werewolf Fever Swamp is amazing, by the way. It's it's surprisingly faithful to the, to the original Michael J. Fox film. Oh, wow. Although they expand the werewolf mythology and it's it's just fun. Do you play basketball? Lacrosse. That doesn't sound very faithful. Well, they but they do have a crazy coach. Okay. <laughs> and there's even a scene that's similar to the Give Me the Keg of Beer. And I'm just like, oh, this movie gets me. All right. Well, that was Death Readers. Uh, what a quick episode. Um so join us next time when we're reading R.L. Stein's Goosebumps. You can't scare me. I think it's you can't uh, scare me. You can't scare me. You can't scare me. Okay. <laughs> you it's <a> win. Reference. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's a reference to Schmigadoon's You Can't Tame Me, as we all know. Oh, wow. Wow. <laughs> all right. So, <laughs> let's just move on. Cool. Well, uh, no new words because I think oh. only about 200 were used in the writing of this book. Like Cat in the Hat. <laughs> oh, as if you would be lucky enough. But no, there's a new word alert. Oh, fuck. God damn. Darn it. 
Are you ready for this? Uh, yeah. Antiquarian. Antiquarian? Antiquarian. Isn't that somebody who loves or deals in antiques? Basically, yeah. It's it's one who collects or studies antiques. Okay. Or oh. an adjective to say something is of or relating to antiques or antiquarians. Hmm. Or dealing in old or rare books. Okay. Uh, there's one more. What? Bravura. Oh, bravura. I want to say it's related to bravado or false bravery. Nope. Mm. Is it related to bravo? Bravura. What is it? Um, it's a noun. Hmm. Relating to music. Yeah. A musical passage requiring exceptional agility and technical skill in execution. Oh, okay. So, like the Goldberg variations. Sure. Um, although, however, I will say that the third definition does say a show of daring or brilliance. So, perhaps your comment about being related to bravado may be accurate. I, mean, I, I think I know. I think I've heard it musically now that you've said it. I think I've heard it like a bravura performance when someone's played something exceptionally hard, exceptionally well. Right. And then someone, some, someone with a snooty high falutin vocab would say that was a bravura performance <laughs> quite yes all right well you know there we go you, you thought i couldn't pull words i you know the thing rob when i get to read goosebumps yeah. i get to read other things in the <laughs> week too <sighs> i can read i can read more than goosebumps and i can find or more than dritz de orden and I can, I can get more words out of things. The new word alert loophole. I wasn't expecting him to catch on so quickly. It only took 124 <laughs> right. episodes. Well, uh, let's burn this mother down. Uh, I believe that was Death Readers. I'm Doug. I'm Rob. Thanks for listening. Thank you. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Podbean, or wherever you get your podcasts. These reviews help new listeners find us and join the discussion. Follow us on Twitter and like our new Facebook page for Death Readers News. Become a patron at Patreon slash Death Readers. And please discuss us extensively on Reddit. It's an addendum saying... Uh, but and as we know, as Rob pointed out, he may put the dumb in addendum. Oof. And we, <laughs> sorry, I don't like those kind of jokes. It just, you set me up and you know what? This isn't what this is about. It's about something else. Oh, so it's so my fault that we get forward. off track. I mean, at this point, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to let we you always do this. <laughs> um, I feel like you are simultaneously the damsel tied to the train tracks and the mustachioed villain tying yourself to the tracks. That's really so fair. I'm just unfairly the uh, the uh, the guy who's engineering the train just going, what am I supposed to do? I'm on a one-track path. You've laid yourself in front of me. You know where this is going. And I am... I have no choice. So... It's, it's my fault because I wouldn't let me pay the rent. <laughs>